Good afternoon. It is Wednesday. It is 12 noon, and it is time for the Deep End Podcast, and I'm glad that you're here, whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or listening on SoundCloud or iTunes. We're so glad to have you. Today, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are on tap. I hope you're ready to drink. This is the Deep End Podcast. All right. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. But before we get to gifts of the Holy Spirit, friends, let's introduce to you my two guests in the studio with me today. Josh Daigle, you know him, you love him. He's up there on stage uh, in our Milford campus. And then we have over here to his right, Scott Bruzy, one of our great small group leaders. Welcome in, Scott. Glad to be here. Welcome in, Josh. Thanks. Good to be here. Glad to have both of you here. And uh, particularly you, Scott, this is your first time here, and um, you're not on staff at Waters Church, but you are a fantastic small group leader. Thank you. Yes, we hear good things. Good. And uh, every time I meet one of your small group members, I'm telling you, they're always like talking about how good the small group is, how well run it is, the, the sense of community that they feel. And so, you know, you're really valuable here. Thank you so much. I hear a lot of good things about your group, too. So Mostly they like Deb. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, mostly it's because of Deb. Yeah. You know, they don't. Well, I, I make the coffee. so we're glad to have you here and this is going to be a more of a regular occurrence uh waters church people that we will have some non-staff members here at at the deep end podcast going forward we want to continue to incorporate new people one of the big themes of i i think my leadership i hope for my leadership and for our church's leadership is always asking the question who's next not always who is but who's next so today the deep end podcast topic brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you are familiar at all with 1 Corinthians, uh, you know that this is the spiritual gifts section of 1 Corinthians. So Paul has dealt with the divisions in the church in the first part of the book. He's dealt with uh, the problems of sexual morality in the middle portion of the book. He, we Last week we were talking about the problems with the Lord's table or communion or the, or, or the Eucharist or whatever you want to call it. And we talked about how in first century Corinth, the problem there was that they were using the Lord's table and the communion moment as an opportunity to kind of propel themselves over against one another and play favorites or have this kind of spiritual elitism amongst themselves. So too here in first Corinthians chapter 12 is the same problem. Uh, The Corinthians were one messed up church. Uh, anytime you feel bad about your modern-day church, just read 1 Corinthians. You'll feel a whole lot better because <laughs> your problems as a church are probably nothing in comparison to the problems in this church, and uh, they had serious problems about everything. And again, here in 1 Corinthians 12, the problems are spiritual gifts. Okay, now, before we get there, I got to just make mention of the fact that we are not having First Wednesday tonight. We are having the podcast today, and last week on the podcast, I said I'll see you in two weeks, which ends up being not two weeks. We're here the next week having the podcast. Why are we not having First Wednesday Josh Dago, do you know why? Because the weather is finally beautiful. <laughs> Cue the Beach Boys music. Yeah, that should be on there. We should have Beach Boys. Huh? Anyway, um, you know, the reason why we're not having first Wednesday tonight, believe it or not, is because the weather is too good. Yeah. <laughs> Up here in New England, we cancel church when it's too bad, and we cancel church when it's too good. Listen, it was a long winter <laughs> It was this a year. long winter. It was a long winter. And we're not out of the woods yet yeah we're not no. this is just a brief you know preview this is the uh trailer for summer 
<laughs> That's the movie preview. It's a brief Coming attractions in the to New England. There will be 80 degrees. I mean, it will last two weeks in July, but there will be 80 degrees. Today, I am so excited. It's 84. I can't wait to get out there and enjoy it. I know. I hope you get out there and enjoy it. That's why we that's why we postponed. We didn't cancel first Wednesday. First Wednesday will be next Wednesday on the second Wednesday. There was a season in our church where we had like first Wednesday on every second Wednesday for a while. And people were like, why don't we change the name of it? But we had been on a good streak for for a while. It has been on first Wednesday, uh, almost every first Wednesday. But just for the sake of your enjoyment of this wonderful weather, I mean, why, why, why put ourselves under the burden of having to go to church when it's 84 degrees? We can do it next Wednesday. No big deal. So see you next Wednesday, and hopefully it'll be 69 degrees and rainy. Yeah. <laughs> and we will have a wonderful service. So, you know, one of the things about Water Church, you got to know, is go with the flow. Relax. Be yeah. flexible. We, we definitely go with the flow. Go with the flow. It's always yeah. easier to go with the flow. It's nice. Yeah. Not not with the cultural flow, but no, go with the no. flow in terms of scheduling and services. And Well, and, and I do have a proposal for... First Wednesday. Our small group calls it uh, Whenever Wednesday. <laughs> there we go. I like that. Whenever Wednesday. Um, that might actually make it. We, I, we'll see. I honestly think there was a, I think we've done a first Wednesday on like every Wednesday of like, we've done a first Wednesday on the first, on the second, on the third, and the fourth Wednesday of <laughs> yeah. the month yeah. at some point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had done. We did a last Wednesday in, I think it was in January we did yeah. the last Wednesday. So we've done, we've whenever done Wednesday. A, Whenever Wednesday. That's like good. That. Or Maybe just, we should change or just it Wednesday to Wednesday at Waters. Wednesday at Waters. Wednesday at Waters. Ooh, that's nice too. Yeah. You're full of good ideas over there, Scott. No, that's right. That's All a right. spiritual that's, gift. That's a spiritual <laughs> gift. There we go. And the lead in right into the topic today. And also the lead into the topic today is that we do this thing called First Wednesday or whatever Wednesday because there is a separate time at Waters Church where we really expect the Holy Spirit to move dynamically in us and among us. And I don't know what kind of church you were brought up in, uh, but I came from a Pentecostal background. Scott, you have some experience with the Pentecostal movement. Absolutely. Daigle, you have no experience with the Pentecostal movement in your history. (laughs) Uh, You were brought up again in... I was brought up in a very, very conservative church for a small portion of my childhood and my upbringing and was I was it pretty much Baptist it. did did you not know I, I honestly the you idea of know. denominations and anything like that was foreign to me you until know, yeah. until you know I was 18 okay so you know my upbringing and your our upbringing or our experience with church mm-hmm. Scott and Daigle's are completely different well, of course I come from the Catholic background and uh, so then of course then I was in the Pentecostal background and then you know so yeah, I've had yeah. a multitude and now you're here and I think that our church is uh, very friendly to the Pentecostals and very friendly to the non-Pentecostals, and I th- I like it that way. I want to yeah. bring people together. I don't want to divide us. Definitely. That's why we don't call ourselves uh, by designation a Pentecostal church or a Baptist church or a Methodist church or a Lutheran church. Uh, those are man-made denominations. Yeah. We are a church that wants to worship Jesus and tell other people about him. Yeah. Even if you go to our website right now and you click on the beliefs page, you'll see... <laughs> We we went from like fourteen beliefs to one yeah. on our beliefs page, and that is we believe Jesus is the answer, yeah, and a bunch of other things. But to but to figure yeah. out what those are, you're gonna have to come. And we don't want the beliefs page to create walls. We want the beliefs page to create welcoming environments. It's so. funny. I, I read a, a beliefs like a 
beliefs page on a on a really big church's website the other day. And it took me like twenty five minutes. Yeah, it was like page after page after yeah. page. And I can tell you where a lot of people are going to go to first on a beliefs page on a website is what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know because this is the one. I, it's so strange to me, and it has been strange to me since I've you know experienced since my childhood that the the one thing that most churches divide over most often is the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. When we when we all believe. All Orthodox Christians, regardless of denomination, believe that the Holy Spirit is necessary, believe the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, believe the Holy Spirit still is active in the church in some way or another today, and yet we, cr- and yet we draw such hard-line boundaries around ourselves to kind of, per- I don't know, divide ourselves or make ourselves appear more biblical than other churches or protect ourselves from those strange, wacky churches that believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all those kind of things that I think does a disservice to what the Holy Spirit has come to do, which is to bring us together so that we pronounce Christ as the answer. And, you know, right from the get-go of Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit is reaching out to people from all walks of life and all languages to create one new people, the people of God. So today... This topic is important for a couple of reasons. You've probably got some bad history here when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, for either uh, what we just talked about in our pre-meeting, guys, which is the extreme um, Holy Spirit people, which are these are the people that you didn't want to invite over to, <laughs> you know, yeah. Christmas at your house or whatever, because <laughs> they might have a word for you from the Lord in the middle of Christmas dinner. And <laughs> and then the people who are over here on the other end of the spectrum, which is, no, that's completely uh, not allowed anymore. And God has eliminated the gifts of the Holy Spirit today. And so lots of disagreement in the church world about this. And yeah. I would I would avoid... Uh, trying to find solutions for it on the internet too. If you were to oh, yeah. go to YouTube or and you you're gonna find so many varied uh, things on that. Uh, I just believe Good it's point, simple, Scott. right? I mean, it, what is the Holy Spirit's ministry, and where do and we then, find that? And where do we find it? And then how do we? Uh, how does the Holy Spirit just reach unbelievers and convict people of sin and and, and the, who Jesus is? He uses the gifts. Sometimes we have to break the powers of darkness. These are the things of gifts. How do we use them? Yeah. And that's what Paul says right here. So let's get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, because his first statement is exactly along those lines. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Mm-hmm. In other words, Christian, you have, you have a scriptural mandate to be informed regarding the filling of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in the church today. Last week, again, the Lord's Supper was being used by the Corinthians to create spiritual elitism. That is, the spiritual have-nots, the rich, were coming together and gorging themselves and getting drunk around the Lord's table. And the poor who had to work for a living were getting there late and had nothing to eat. And Paul completely reprimands the Corinthian church to say, you're not acting like the Lord in what you call the Lord's Supper. And then he kind of reinforces what the Lord's Supper is all about, what that should do for the church, how that should instruct the church to be one united body. And so too, in Corinth, they were using the spiritual gifts to create a spiritual elitism, a spiritual have and have not mentality. And they used them to divide instead of come together. And when we are uninformed about what 
God has in store for the church in regards to the gifts of the Spirit, we divide. So it is so important here that we get informed. Spiritual gifts are for today. Now, you may have gone to a church, and we're going to talk about this just for a short moment, that believed the uh, the spiritual gifts were not for today. They are for today, and we want them um we want them operative at Waters Church. Now, we want them operative decently and in order, and we'll talk about that in two podcasts from now, about how that kind of like gets practiced at Waters Church, but, but we believe that they are for today. The reason why we believe they are for today is because there's no hardline scriptural evidence that says the spiritual gifts, as is the view of some, uh, ceased at the end of the apostolic era. When the apostles died, the spiritual gifts died with them. There is no scriptural, hardline scriptural proof for that. None. None, yeah. You, you really have to read into a couple of texts, one of which will be discussed next week or next podcast, because next week is First Wednesday. There will be no podcast. But you really have to read into First Corinthians 13 when Paul says, as for tongues, they will cease, and prophecies, they will cease. But then the next line he says, and, not, and knowledge, it too will cease. So does that mean that if tongues and prophecy ceased at the end of the apostles' era, does that mean that knowledge ceased as well at the apostles' era? Of course not. not. We still have to have knowledge in the things of God today. So you have to really read into it. You have to kind of uh, manipulate. And I read the argument for cessationist. For those of you familiar with these, these distinctions, cessationist view is that the gifts of the Spirit ceased at the end of the apostolic era. When the apostles died, the gifts of the Spirit died. Okay. Um, so the arguments that I read up on are weak. I'm just telling you they're weak. You have to read into Moses and that he was given supernatural gifts to, to authenticate his word from God. And so too the apostles, like Moses, were given gifts uh, to authenticate their word from God. But now that we have the Bible, we no longer need it. The problem is that we didn't really have the Bible as we know it today until about the 4th century. Mm-hmm. So what did they do for you know, 350 years from the apostles' death to the middle of the 4th century when suddenly now they do have some, you know, canon of Scripture that that we call the Bible. Again, weak arguments. I'm telling you, I've read up on it. I was raised Pentecostal. Scott, you've been in Pentecostal churches. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt the gifts of the Spirit are alive and well in the church today. We need to be informed. Paul didn't want the Corinthians to be uninformed, and we uh, we need to be informed about what the spiritual gifts are uh, to the body. Well, some of the times, some of the things you, you find too uh, is this: is that people forget uh, when you read the scriptures, you have to read them in context. You know, who was Paul talking to? He was talking to the Corinthians who were very, very idol centric before yes. they came to Christ. Heavily, yes. heavily idol centric. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, um, so was America. Yeah. America is very idol centric. Uh, but what they say, for example, is if you were to go to a third world country in the middle of the woods, you know, the devil may not come to you in a three-piece suit no. like he does in America. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay, right. so keeping things in context about these things, when Paul was talking to the Corinthians, he was explaining things to them based on what they understood. They were very self-promoting, and they were all about, you know, who had the greater idols or the greater the gods greater that gift. they served. And so these, of course, came with God. So when they brought that into the church, they brought those kinds of things as well. So he was doing a lot to clarify this. He was basically saying, hey, let's talk about this. You, I, I need you not to be uninformed, uh, but these gifts are not for you to self-elevate. Yeah. Now, what he says in verse 2, right here. Verse 2, he says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And basically what you just said there, Paul, uh, Paul, 
which just said there's <laughs> Scott. You. Yeah, that was an elevation right there. It gave you a promotion. What you just said there's Scott is true because he's saying to the Corinthians, you used to be pagan revelry people. You used to get these ecstatic, supernatural, spiritual, quote unquote, spiritual experiences. The problem was they were demonic. The problem was they were worldly. And yes, there are demonic spirits that can have a that can give people an ecstatic experience. This is why people turn to drugs. In fact, I think that drugs today is a pagan revelry that uh, kind of mimics uh, the authentic gift of the Holy Spirit for some people. To have that mind-altering, um, I don't know what you want to call it, mystical experience with something that is beyond the realm of the natural. And because we are made to experience these things in authentic ways with God, when we are disconnected from him, ultimately we'll go in all kinds, all kinds of harmful directions. And what Paul says to the Corinthians is, you used to be led by mute idols. You used to have these, these ecstatic experiences in pagan revelry. Now, what you used to experience in pagan revelry, you must not now bring into the church. So in pagan revelry, it was the haves and have-nots. It was the people who had these real mystical experiences and supernatural experiences versus the people who needed to have those experiences. And what the Corinthians were doing was they were just bringing in their pagan revelry mantras into the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things, too, that that they did is when they were serving their gods, it was always about serving the God, making their God happy. It was always about how do we elevate our God so that way our God takes care of us. And then when you come to Christ and the, and the whole ministry of Christ, he does not ask us to be servants of him to serve him. It's about serving his body, which, of course, yes, that's where we're going. So he says in verse three, therefore, I want you to understand that no one. Now, this is a very strange passage, by the way, in the middle of this text. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, for a very long time, I thought that meant, OK, this is how you know if somebody's born again or not. Can they say Jesus is Lord or can they not? And that's not what he's saying here. Actually, the Greek translation when he says Jesus is accursed um, is weak in the English here. Uh, So some important contextual information about this text because it actually is completely in line with where he's going here in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, and kind of opens our eyes to it. When he says no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, in the pagan revelry of Corinthians of the Corinthians past, they would use the names of their pagan gods to call curses down on other people. So they would say, in the name of Hermes, I curse you. Or in the name of Aphrodite, I curse you. And Paul says, in the church, you don't be doing that with the name of Jesus. You don't no. say, in the name of Jesus, I curse you. Jesus is not the God by which we call down curses on people. Jesus is the God by which we are empowered to bless people. And so he says, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus curse you. The, the, again, the English translation here is weak. Can we put that back up on the screen there, Bria? No, that's a very weak translation. Jesus, he says, Jesus anathema in the Greek, which means Jesus curse you. So you don't act like pagans with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the building up, not the tearing down of other people. And then again, he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes to exalt Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes into the body of Christ so that the body of Christ uniformly and in unity of spirit pronounces to the world, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the answer. You can have hope in Jesus' name. Now, Facebook listeners as well, 
we got Daigle over here. He is monitoring Facebook comments and questions. I'm sure there might be comments or questions about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So please feel free to ask your questions. But we got to get moving here. We're going to get through this whole chapter. Yeah. So verse 4, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. Again, varieties, but same. Varieties of the gifts of the Spirit, the activities of the Spirit, the service of the Spirit, but they're all serving God's purposes. And it is God who unites us together in these varieties to accomplish one purpose. So then he says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And we had a brief talk about this. Your gift in the Holy Spirit is not for you to be exalted over against your brothers and sisters. Yeah. Your gift is for you to bring good into the body of Christ. If your gift is for your elevation, you've missed it. Yeah. If your gift is for you to run around and say, well, this is my gift, and this is what God has used me, and this is how I am, it's so important because I've done this, that, 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 then you have missed the heart of Christ concerning the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts are given for the common good. And, I, and as long as people don't feel that they... Some people, I think they're afraid to receive the gifts because they've always had this like, well, that must be for someone higher than me or mm. more, more experienced than that's me. That's good, Scott. And, and, yeah. and it, see, that's just the inverse of that same it's point. It's the absolute it, opposite. And it becomes an idol for a lot of people. becomes an idol. Yeah, and you were right, speaking to right, this too. Right? Yeah, it, spiritual it, it, gifts are not idols. Yeah, it good. was it was a huge, huge kind of struggle for me. Like, um, you know, I got saved kind of later on in life and, and uh, it was it was a thing for me. I always felt like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't holy enough. I wasn't connected to God enough yeah. because like I didn't speak in tongues. So right. that it became like an idol for me. Yeah. And there was actually kind of a pivotal point in, um, in my relationship with God where I was at a first Wednesday and I was, I was playing guitar and I was, you know, I was, I was just singing out and we were calling out to God and calling out, um, you know, for the Holy spirit to just fill us. And, and I was really just, just calling out to God and asking, you know, give me, give me the gift of tongues, give me the gift of, and it was becoming like an idol an for idol. me. And God kind of spoke to me clearly in that moment. And I don't use that phrase lightly, but he spoke to me and he was just like, play your guitar. You know, not that that's a gift, not that that's a spiritual gift by any means, but he was like, this is a gift that I've given you. Stop getting caught up on, on the fact that you think you're not spiritual enough yeah. or you're not good enough and just use your gift to, to reach people, to minister to people. Now you say something that I do want to talk about because yeah. there is a talent in you yeah. to play guitar, but it can be supernaturally gifted. The talent which you can develop, and anybody can develop. Yeah. A pagan can, can develop, you know, the gift to, the, the talent of playing guitar. Yeah, absolutely. But a pagan cannot be supernaturally empowered by God to, to benefit the body of Christ yeah. through that talent. So we'll talk about that in a moment because I just want to get to something first, yeah. and then we'll come back around to that. Because in verse 8, Paul says, Now for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And he's going to list these gifts now. The utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. Okay. That's the, the three-verse list of the nine manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. First off, Please notice, he puts tongues way down at the bottom of the list. Why is that? Well, we're going to find out through the course of our study here in chapter 12 is that the problem in first, that the problem in first century Corinth is still many times, oftentimes the problem in many Pentecostal charismatic churches today is that the one gift out of the nine that can be most manipulated, manipulated mm, yeah. and most faked 
is the gift of tongues. Yeah. Like if you just rattle off the names of foreign car manufacturers, you can sound like you're speaking in tongues. You know, Hyundai Sonata. You know, I mean, if I just say it fast enough, it sounds like, hey, that's tongues. No, I'm just saying foreign car names. You know, who stole my Honda? You know what I'm saying? So that can be manipulated. And you yeah. and I have both experienced that. Yes, we have. It's, it's oftentimes used too as like a, now you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit when yeah. you speak in tongues. And we're going to find out from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that's not the case. Uh, we don't at Waters Church prescribe to the doctrine that many Pentecostal denominations do, which is that you're not truly filled with the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues. We don't agree with that. Right. Uh, just like you have to work hard to find a biblical argument for the cessation of the gifts, you have to work ex- equally hard, although maybe not as hard, to find an, a biblical argument for that the gift of tongues is the only initial physical evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not the case whatsoever, not from the scriptural record. Uh, We don't believe it. There are three categories of gifts that God gives, and I'm just going to run these down so that we can kind of give ourselves some framework about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 lists a totally different list of gifts. These I call them the gifts of the ascended Christ, uh, the gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I call these headship gifts. Headship being that Jesus is the head of the church, and he gives those gifts to certain people so that the church can grow up into Christ, who is the head, uh, so that the church might be equipped to do the work of the ministry. It's all there in first in, in Ephesians chapter 4. Then there are administrative gifts. These are Romans chapter 12 and 1 Peter 4 gifts. Gifts like serving, giving, leading, administering, helping, all those kind of gifts. Hospitality. And those are a different set of gifts. And then the third list of gifts is here in 1 Corinthians 12, the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word manifestation, that's, that sounds like a biblical, like, theological term. Uh, it's actually just a word that means to make something visible. When something is made manifest, we're just basically saying it's being made visible. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to make the Holy Spirit visible in the body of Christ yeah. so that we know the Holy Spirit is there. So now let's talk about the nine gifts. First is the utterance of wisdom. Now, I believe the utterance of wisdom, without reading too much into these, you know, these categories of gifts, yeah. utterance of wisdom is that God in the Holy Spirit's power can give you uh, a word of wisdom for a specifically vexing situation. Yeah. You know, the, the Bible, I say this all the time, is not a manual. So sometimes we don't have a chapter and verse for a specific problem. But the Holy Spirit can, through other Christians, speak to you about, here's what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to that situation. You know, I think you can attest to some opportunities that, or some experiences like that, Scott. Oh, absolutely. Um, the words of wisdom, I think, are, you know, they're different in, in, for many people. They have to really realize there's a difference between that and the utterance of knowledge. Um, you know, wisdom is going to be something um, that maybe has not happened. Maybe this is how I interpret it. Uh, but something that has not happened, but, you know, maybe, for example, you're speaking with someone and you're just giving them some insight yes. into a solution yes. to what the Holy Spirit is telling them. You might not even know all of the details as the person using the gift, but there's just words coming from your mouth that the Holy Spirit is speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to help these folks uh, solve or overcome or just have power 
to overcome. Yeah, and, and know what to do in regards to, do. to that vexing situation. Yes. I think about Solomon with the two women. The two women come before Solomon, and they both claim that their baby, that baby is their baby, and the other one was dead, and so the other woman replaced her baby with the dead, her dead baby with the live baby, and all that kind of stuff. And and it's a vexing situation. And so Solomon, I believe, as a kind of like an Old Testament example of a word of wisdom, gave a word of wisdom to say, okay, here's what we're going to do: cut it in half and give half to each woman. And the one who whose baby it was said, absolutely not, give her the baby because her heart was for her baby, mm-hmm. and so. That would be like an Old Testament example of the word of wisdom. But today still, you know, about um, what to do with a, a job loss, what to do with um, a, a strained relationship, what to do with a child that just won't uh, listen to you about certain things. God can give you wisdom in those moments. Well, I think too, wasn't it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Jesus uh, was speaking to Nicodemus, um, you know, uh, He's basically telling Nicodemus, you know, things that he's going to have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then, you know, not to jump ahead, but the delineation between knowledge, of course, the, the word of knowledge, I think, would be when Jesus, um, you know, was speaking to the Samaritan woman. You know, yeah. how basically, That's a great example. you know, there's a t- two different sides. He knew. He knew she had five I, previous husbands right. and she was shacking up with the guy who right. wasn't her husband. And so let's get into that. The utterance of knowledge is different because the utterance of knowledge is, is when God supernaturally gives you knowledge about something that you had not learned at all. Yeah. Again, that's a great example, Scott. I wouldn't think about that. I was thinking about Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, no, that's... Because Peter... Well, there's, there's a thousand. Yeah, there's many. Yeah. So Peter... Does he? No one tells Peter that they sold the land for such and such amount, and then they claimed that it was a different amount, which was far less than what they sold it for. But he, in the gift of the Holy Spirit, says, "You're lying to the Holy Spirit," and immediately they fall down dead. Yeah. Um, don't mess with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but that's a word of knowledge. Faith is the third gift. Now, the supernatural form of faith. We all have faith. Every Christian has some Every measure person of was faith. Given a measure of faith. Yeah. But there is, and I believe that this happens, supernatural uh, faith imparted into certain Christians for certain moments or seasons, and that happens. Um, How about when Paul, in the book of Acts, was on the ship? Yes, good example. And they come, you know, and the angel came to him, and the storm's coming, and he says, you know, have faith, Everybody's going to live. Everybody's going to live through this, and it... He goes, we're going to lose everything. And I told you that was going to happen. Yeah. You should have listened to me. It was a great I told you so moment. But he believed. But I knew because the, in, in the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the Bible said it came like through an angel. So I think the word of God and, yes, and the gifts come, come different. You know, he came yeah, to me he last says, night. he says last night the angel, you know, the came, angel to came to me. And he said that no one's going to die and we're all going to make it through this. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, So that so would be the faith. Faith and I would say word of wisdom maybe. As well, in yeah, conjunction. Yeah, well, that's so right. Gifts can, can be, be in conjunctions. Yeah. And, and that's a, a very important teaching point. Don't feel like you only ever get one gift forever, and that's the only one, and it can only be used at certain opportunities. The, yeah. the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given through the Holy Spirit to the church as he wills, and we'll see that in a moment. Gifts of healing. And, and this is one that, man, I'll tell you, if there's one attractive gift of the Holy Spirit for the body of Christ in, in modern-day <laughs> America, it is the gift of healing. And, and I want to say this just as a, a, a way of pastoral caution. Please be careful to, to say to people, I have the gift of healing. I don't like that terminology. Again, it almost is this spiritual one-upsmanship attitude. Well, I have the gift of healing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Here's the deal. If someone is sick and you pray over them and they supernaturally get healed, who technically gets the gift of healing? 
The person who the was person sick. Rece- yeah, the person <laughs> who receives it. The person who yeah. receives the healing is They're the one who got the gift. The gift. Yeah. And, and so let's make sure that, again, Paul's thought here is that you don't manipulate God's power for your own exaltation, but that you are an agent of God's power at certain moments for the building up of God's people. And that is a huge, uh, hugely important distinction there. I don't think I ever saw anywhere uh, in the Bible where one of the apostles or someone spoke and said, you know, that this is my gift. Yeah, no, they never said. You know, so with they, that, like when Peter's coming out and, and the person said, you know, basically give me money, he goes, oh, silver and gold I don't have. But in the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. rise up and walk. You know, that's he right. didn't say, because I was just anointed. I was just anointed, yeah. And that's a great point because we have to realize, again, that like the Lord's table for the Corinthians here in the in the in the in the twelfth chapter is the gifts of the Spirit become this. Well, I have spiritual elite status now because yeah. I laid hands on them. And now listen, I have experienced this. I have laid hands on people and seen them healed instantaneously. Yeah. So it happens. We've had people at our church, and by the way, this is just a point of reference for people who are new to our church. We always open prayer at the end of every weekend service yeah. for this very reason. And our small group leaders who are designated to be prayer team, prayer altar ministry workers, if you will, prayer workers, are there for you. I don't understand some of you. You come to church sick, you leave church sick, and you don't go for prayer. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you come to the front, humble yourself, come to the front, receive the laying on of hands. In, in some cases, we will anoint you with oil. Receive prayer. The gift ministries of the Holy Spirit can heal you. Yeah. You might be missing out because you're too afraid or you, were, you weren't brought up in a church that believes that. Yeah. Why do you want to let that call the shots in your life? Why not allow the Holy Spirit to do what he could do in your life? Open yourself up to that. It's something you definitely got to humble yourself to do. But just personally, I've literally, like, if there's something going on in my life, I've gotten, you know, led worship, got off stage, and then went and prayed with someone in the front. Yeah. Someone, like, prayed for me. Awesome. Because it's like, you just got to humble yourself. And, like, humble listen, yourself. No, one's, no one's, like has elite status here. You know, if you, you need prayer for something, you, you know, you pray with someone. Well, I, I can't help myself. This is, seems like a perfect opportunity for a commercial for the small groups. Exactly. No, go uh, for Small it. groups are, are that. Folks, I've seen when people come to a small group, I've had people say, well, when I come, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to observe. And in my head, I'm going, mm-hmm, you'll be talking in the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Holy Spirit moves upon you like that. And then one of the things at the end, when we ask for prayer, I've never had, in 20-some-odd in years of small group or small home church or whatever, when, when you ask for prayer at the end, that the person just sat there and never asked. People always do. So if yeah. you're afraid to do it in the corporate or go up in front of a 500 people, get in a small group. All well, right. that being said, that's why we dismiss the, the crowd before we have that yeah. moment. So you don't have to feel intimidated well, by that big crowd. 100%. But at the same time, that's also why we have small groups, so that you can get prayer. Yeah. And... And I said it in just on Sunday, but I also go and visit the people in the hospital and pray over them. And it's not always me. As many times as our small group leaders, because the church is being the church and it's not the, I am not the spiritual guru who has to go and pray for everybody. But uh, I will go and pray over people in the hospital with the, with another elder and we will uh, lay hands and anoint with oil and we will pray and believe God for the recovery of health to that individual. And it has happened. And sometimes it has not happened, but we don't stop asking that's the foolishness. The foolishness is to say, oh, it might not happen, so we won't ask. What are you doing? <laughs> Don't ever give up. God is never, yeah. uh, his arm is never too short to save, and he's always listening to the prayers of his people. And he 
the the wonderful thing about the the wonderful thing the wonderful thing about praying praying for healing is God might say yes, go for it. And the other yeah. thing too is we encourage folks too is don't be afraid to reach out. Use these gifts if you know to pray for people. Yeah, because you're afraid that it's not going to happen. Right. You know, you do it. It's not up to you to make it happen. So therefore, just pray. God didn't say, you know, when you pray, make sure it happens. No. He just said to pray, pray. lay hands or to, to believe. And that's all he's asking you to do. And not all healings take place at that very moment. Even Jesus said. And not everybody when, gets healed. Not everybody gets healed. There's different reasons there's a why guy God named Trophies. There's a guy named Trophimus, Trophimus that Paul leaves sick. In one of the cities, so or Paul himself. Trophimus. I mean, some people believe that Paul, Paul had, himself with the, you know, with with the, eye, the thorn in the flesh, but we're not sure if that was a physical ailment. We're yeah, kind of reading in the text. It is true. There. It is true. Okay. Anyway, number five, we got to get through this list, guys. Number five, <laughs> working of miracles. This is basically just miraculous powers can be at work in the church. And and I want to say something just as a parenthetical thought about this. Why are miracles rare? Well, because God set up the world to work a certain way. Yeah. And so to expect him to always intervene in the natural order that he has created is to, is to almost say, God, you, you messed up. And so you got to constantly intervene. No, he set up yeah. the world to work a certain way. He wants it to work by natural process. We call it natural process. I believe they're all supernatural processes because they were all set up by the supernatural being, God himself. Yeah. So they are, they are rare instances where God intervenes into the natural order of events with... Um, unnatural uh, experiences. Number six, prophecy. Uh, this will be discussed heavily in chapter 14. We don't need to spend too much time here. We have to get through this list. So prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We will talk about that uh, in two podcasts from now. The distinguishing between spirits, number seven. This one we do want to talk about a little bit because there is a demonic and satanic realm. There are demonic and satanic spirits. There are lying spirits. There are deceiving spirits. And woe to the church who does not operate in the discernment of spirits and and test things and start to ask, well, is that spirit of God or is that spirit not of God? And we have got to ask God for the Holy Spirit to give us discernment here. Uh, First, First Thessalonians 5.20 says, do not despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good. Uh, he'll talk about that a little bit more in 1 Corinthians 14. With prophecies, we have to let prophets speak, but then we have to weigh what is said. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Number eight is tongues. And again, last on the list, tongues, because this was the Corinthian problem. They were using tongues to create spiritual elitism, and Paul puts it here on the last last of the list to say, hey, knock it off. It's just one of nine manifestation gifts. So tongues. For today, yes, the tongues, I, I believe there are two types of tongues, and again, we'll talk about this maybe next podcast and the second one after that, which is the tongues that are supernaturally imparted known languages to humans, tribes, groups, whatever, nations, and the tongues of angels. And those are listed both in uh, the next chapter. He says, if I speak in the tongues of angels and men. So there are two types of tongues. There are known languages to earthly dwellers, and then there are languages of the heavenly realms. And what are they for? We'll talk about that in two weeks. And then number nine. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. And then number nine is the interpretation of tongues, which again, we will talk about in two podcasts from now. But the order is important. That's what I want to make sure we're, we're clear on. Let's not let tongues become this status symbol in the church as it had become in Corinth. Number uh, Verse 11, Paul says, All these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one, and please look at this, 
uh, uh, individually as he, the Holy Spirit, wills. It is the will of the Holy Spirit to give to certain individuals a certain gift for a certain moment. So it is not my gifts. It is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is not my ministry. It is God's ministry to somebody through me as his agent, yeah. but ultimately for the good of that other Christian, for the good of the church. So it, again, we don't want to fall into the guru mentality of, well, I, I have the gift of prophecy. I've been in meetings like this. And, and listen, be, on, be aware of this, friends, because I've, I've been raised Pentecostal. I've seen it. Scott, we were talking about this too. We have seen the gamut of excesses in the, Holy, in the Pentecostal movement. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen this where a guy will say, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm gifted with the gift of prophecy. So he'll get up in front of a large crowd and he'll speak. He'll, he'll preach. And then he'll stop preaching and then he'll stop and he'll, and he'll do this. He'll like survey the crowd and he'll point to someone and say, you there, sir, the Lord is saying to you, da, 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 da. and he gives him some kind of word. And yeah. then, and then, and they'll go, you lady over there with the glasses, the Lord is saying to you, and, and you over there. And, and <laughs> it becomes like this, this, this show. It becomes yeah, like sure. this. Yeah. I'm showing off that I have, I'm the guru here. Yeah. And again, you just look at it and it looks like exalt the guy on stage with that gift and everybody else is the, we're all the minions, you know, yeah. you know, speak to us, oh, wise guru. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like, we got to stay away from that because again, according to scripture, the gifts are not about you. The gifts are for the common good. Yeah. It's an important distinguishing factor. It's not your gift. It's nothing that you've done or you've worked for, or you've earned. Yeah. Listen, you know I was I mean? in a meeting once where he pointed to a guy who was in real estate. And I knew this guy. The guy's in real estate. And he points to him at the end of the message. The Lord is telling me to tell you that you're going to preach the gospel to millions of people. I'm like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> Please don't put that on that guy. Now that guy is going to feel for the rest of his life that being a real estate guy is less than God's ultimate ideal. And shame yeah. on him for not yet preaching to millions of people. Yeah. You can't do that to people. It's, it becomes abusive and it becomes manipulative in the body of Christ. I don't know. Thoughts? Uh no, I agree with that. I mean, I saw that uh, numerous times. I've seen people, you know, they, they, I've seen it where they've laid hands on people in a line, for example. It'd be 30, 40 people in a line, and they're walking down just trying to have a word for every single person. I've been in that, too. And, yep. you know, and then they just run out of words. And then, <laughs> you know, so, but, but I kind of experienced that, and if I can say maybe in a more humbling way, uh, one of my greatest life-altering experiences was when I went to India. And they brought up thongs, throngs, throngs of people. <laughs> throngs, yes. Throngs of people <laughs> yeah. uh, to us to pray. And what I sensed in my spirit was, here are all these folks that are poor and without, and they're coming to these great Westerners yeah. that have the power of God. And I'm standing in front of them going, you have no idea. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I remember standing in front of Hundreds of people praying for them, saying, Lord, they're coming to me. I have nothing for them. I, yeah. I have nothing. I don't know what these people need, Father. Mm -hmm. Please give them what they need. That's all I could do is just continue to pray for people that way. I, or I could have put on a show. Yeah, exactly. You could, it can be easily manipulated. Yeah. And we have got to, and you need to know, Waters Church people, that as pastors and leaders and small group leaders too, we are constantly trying to make sure that while we want the gifts of the Holy Spirit to move in the church, we also want to do these things in decency and in order and humility and for what Paul says here, the common good. So verse 12, just, for just as the body is one as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All right, so Paul's going to give us some framework here about seeing yourself as a necessary part of the body, regardless of your gift or lack thereof. All of us are members of the same body, though we are many, and we are not all the same parts of the body. And he gets into this. He says in verse uh, 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. In other words, the body is not just one gift giver. The body is not just one person with one particular gift. It is, it is, a, it is a conglomeration of many parts. So in your own natural body, and I love this metaphor, Paul says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. In other words, if someone says, well, I have never, I've never spoken in tongues, I must not be a real Christian. No, that's not, what, that's not how you see the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then he says this in verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, just because you don't operate in a specific gift does not make you less a part of the body of Christ. Let's get away from that. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all have different uh, contributions to offer to the body of Christ. And when we start to belittle our function or belittle what we bring to the table, we actually deny who we are in a sense. I just want to say this. This thought came to me. In the body of Christ, the results of your ministry do not equal the value of you as a minister. So what do I mean by that? If you are a small group leader at Water Church and you only have three people and that person over there has 12 people, that does not make them more valuable to you because you have three and they have 12. Uh, if you operate in the gift of prophecy, but that person over there doesn't operate in the gift of prophecy, that doesn't make the person with the gift of prophecy more valuable than the person with no gift of prophecy. we got to get away from that. Every person in the body of Christ is valuable because every person has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That being said, Matthew chapter 25 makes it very clear that there are five talent people, there are two talent people, and there are one talent people. That's just a fact. God is not a socialist, right? <laughs> he's, he's not, yeah. I, I'm sorry to say, God is not a socialist. He, div, he divvies up gifts, and some people get five gifts, yeah. and some people get two, and some people get one. And that the talent there, it can reference money, it can reference, reference gifts, it can reference abilities, it can reference skills, or it can even reference opportunities. The point of the matter is, and life teaches you to do this uh, eventually. Eventually you get, like when you're young and, and, and kind of ignorant, you think that the world owes you. And then you grow up and you realize, well, the world doesn't owe me anything. I actually have to go out there and take advantage of the opportunities that I get. Right. And some people get tons of opportunities and some people get very little opportunities. Well, some, one of the things I'd like to point out, too, is I believe. You know, for well, let me just finish this thought. Oh, please. Together. The point that I'm trying to make and the point that Paul is trying to make here is don't see yourself as less valuable to the body of Christ just because the results of your input or the results of your activity in the body of Christ is not the same by whatever metric you want to use to somebody else's. Well, who was it, too? We, uh, the, going back, staying on your point for a moment. We had a guest speaker. Josh, I don't know if you remember. Uh, you weren't there, so maybe you wouldn't remember. But um, we had a guest speaker, and he talked about which part of the body is the most important. And he caught everybody off guard when he ended up saying it was the neck. No one ever thinks of the neck with the you know, arms, hands, eyes, arm, you know, yeah. feet. And he I said, remember but, that. But the neck, of course, it carries the blood vessels and, and the, yeah. everything to the head. It holds the head up. Sure. But which... Part of the body is the most vulnerable, the easiest to to damage, or, or if, if your neck gets cut or broken. Yeah, 
you know, and he yeah, said, that's a great so, and I remember, I don't remember who that was. I can't think of who it was either, but I remember it. And I remember thinking to myself, I've never forgotten it, obviously. I've forgotten who well, said it, but. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. You and, know, and it, to that point, Paul says these exact words that you just, you're just basically uh, illustrated for us because he says in verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Okay. So you are where you are in the body by designation of God or arrangement of God. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? Okay. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What he's saying there is that while uh, there are certain people in the Corinthian church that saw themselves as more important than others, they can't say to other people who are not their, bar, who are not their gift or not, not their ability, they can't say to that person, uh, I don't need you. No, you do need them. Like the neck. Okay, the neck does not operate your uh, maybe typing or your you know, whatever you whatever you work with on your job, but without it, you can't do those things. And, and at the same time, the neck now doesn't become prideful and arrogant and say, well, because I do all these things now, I don't need hands and feet. No, the neck needs the hands and feet. And the, feet yeah. need the, yeah, the hands and feet need the neck. Mm. But the point, again, that Paul keeps ta- telling them is stop looking down on one another through your giftedness. Uh, you, ever get a, you ever get a cut on your pinky? Like you never <laughs> think about your pinky. Yeah. I think about this. You never get, you never think about your pinky until you've got a cut on your pinky. And you ever have this experience where you get the cut and you go to bed and you wake up and the next morning you're doing something and ouch. Yes. Because it, it's that part of your pinky yeah. or I type and I'm like, oh, oh crap. I didn't realize I used my pinky for that. You yeah. know? I cut my thumb the other day doing something in the kitchen and I was like, I didn't realize how much I used my thumb until everything I do yes. now hurts. <laughs> right. And everything that you do. And I think about like the thumb I think is important, but the pinky, not so much. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm not really grabbing my toothbrush with my pinky, but I am doing other things <laughs> with my pinky. And yeah. so suddenly now that that part hurts, now I realize how useful and how valuable to the body that part is. So Paul says in verse 22, he says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. <laughs> I love that. He says, you think your pinky's nothing. Oh, no, no, no. It's indispensable. Yeah. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, they're treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have equal or same care for one another. I have Let a me question just, for you. Yeah, go ahead. A quick question would be is this, is that, because um, I believe that you know gifts can... I don't want to say come and go, but at the same time, I believe God can put a new gift on you, maybe for a moment or whatever. So therefore, with this, how many people feel like, oh, well, I am the hand or I am the, you know, since I am the hand or maybe I am the mouth. So therefore, I'm one of the most important. You right. Know, it's so easy to interpret that to be one yeah, of the most important. Yeah, it could important. be like that. You couldn't that um, But then all of a sudden, they're not anymore. Uh, in other words, maybe God doesn't use it. How do you sit, see with the gifts like that? Well, as with every metaphor in Scripture— be careful not to um, uh, deify the illustration. Like the mm-hmm. illustration is is just that it is for the purpose of illustration, illustrating yeah. a point, which is though we are many and different, we all form one body. Uh, the point that Paul is saying here is not to look at yourself as a neck, and not to look at yourself as a foot. Is to see the interdependence of the body, and not the independence that giftedness could possibly could possibly produce in your heart. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So again, I don't think that 
you're only ever going to operate in that one specific gift. I think that as the Holy Spirit wills, he may give you the gift of healing here. He may give you the gift of miracle yes. there. He may give you the gift of word of Agreed. wisdom there, whatever. But because the, the, the Lord is concerned with building up the whole body of Christ and not just your Christian experience. And I wish that I had been taught this much younger in my Christian experience. And those of you who are new Christians, please pay attention. The reason why something's going to happen in the church that you don't like is because the Lord is trying to build up the whole body, not just your Christian experience. He's not trying to give you a roller coaster, rah rah siskumba experience of Christianity. That's not his. That's not his number one goal. His number one goal is to build up the body of the whole global body of Christ, and and so. That's how we have to interpret this. Don't read too much into Paul saying, hey, some of you are a neck and some of you are a, a nipple and some of you, <laughs> some of you are a, an ankle and some of you are an elbow or whatever. You know, your comment about it being too cold in here had me thinking about Hey, yeah, that's sorry. It. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Maybe we should preface that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that. Do you have a question from Facebook? or? Yes. Yeah, so we got a question on Facebook and it was pretty, uh, it's pretty deep. So I just wanted to bring it up. So this, a woman commented, she said, a couple weekends ago, there was a woman outside church service who was obviously disturbed, talking to herself and walking back and forth. Whether she was possessed, it's hard to tell. Should someone have prayed over her? And should you be led by the Holy Spirit to approach her and pray for her? Well, yeah, I would be, I would, I would, uh, first off, in those situations, try to um, catch one of the altar workers at the end. And just inform them, because these people have been designated as leaders in those moments. They will get the, the proper spiritual authority in the church, if necessary. Uh, and they will deem that the appropriate action to take place from there going forward. I wouldn't, if you were just a, an attender of our church, just go up there and randomly start praying over people in the, in the, um, in the lobby. Yeah. That might not be the healthiest um, decision. So be careful about that. Again, we do have spiritual leaders. We do have delegation of leadership here. And trust that uh, there is a vetting process that all those leaders go through to make sure that they are ready for it. Um, and you want to use those people. You want to yeah. use those as, a, as your opportunity to, to yeah. take on those things. But don't just randomly start praying over me just because you see somebody talking. They, they may have had a problem. It may have just been a misinterpretation of the facts. We don't know. Uh, we know that our building is open to everybody. Anybody and everybody, no matter who they are and where they're from, can come to our church. So that will open the door for all kinds of things. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if it was specifically worded when she used the word, should a person be led by the Holy Spirit? I don't know if that was I just, think, yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, I, I gonna, think you should. Here's what I think. I think you it's should either go you to are a, or you're not. Well. You know, it's, it's, in other words, it's like we, it's for we that, should. For that particular moment, I say you should go to our small Going back to leaders. part one of your answer. Yeah. Um, you should feel led to pray for people by the Holy Spirit for healings, deliverances, works of miracles, all those kind of things um, anywhere. But in that certain situation like that, you know, be careful there. Yeah. You know, I don't want you getting harmed or attacked yeah. by someone just because you randomly went up to them and prayed for them. And uh, there are in the church gathering, there are leaders. That's what yeah. I'm saying. So you're outside the church gathering and you see something like that and you want to pray. Hallelujah. Amen. But at least in the church, you have that protection of yeah. the spiritual covering of leadership over you to make sure that whatever is done is done with your protection and your good in mind. Yeah. Anyway, he says there that uh, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. Again, you talk about the neck, but I want to talk about something that happened to me because this is kind of a spiritual principle, a spiritual lesson for many of us. In my early 20s, I was getting ready for work one day 
I never, I'll never forget this. I bent down to put my socks on and my back went out. Mm. Never happened to me before. And I had like this electric shock run up my spine and I was on the floor. And I was, I was out for a week. I could not stand upright for a whole week. So I ended up going to the doctor and I found out that what had happened was there was a little muscle, a little tiny muscle in my back that had been pulled. And I was thinking about it. It was a spiritual lesson for me because what happened was I realized the importance of that little muscle that I ignored my whole life. And, and what happens, and this is the point of Paul's illustration here in 1 Corinthians 12, is that there are certain parts of the Christian body that we think really important. We really need to build up those people. Just like in our physical bodies, there are parts of our bodies that we think, I really need to build that up. Like, for instance, our biceps, if we're men, our biceps <laughs> and our pectorals and our, you know, what are these called up the here? Traps. The traps and all that kind of stuff. But we ignore those parts that if we ever had those go on us, we wouldn't be able to walk upright. And I remember that that was such a teaching moment for me to think about how every part of the body matters. That little part in my back that I ignored, I shouldn't ignore. And I started actually working out from that moment, doing a lot of back exercises to make sure that never, it, never, it has never happened again. But I think about this, that as the body of Christ, we have to realize that we've got to show appreciation for and value those parts of our body who seem so out of sight, like we don't even... We don't even notice what they do. And let me just say, in our, in our church family here, there are so many people that do things that no one sees, and yet it's indispensable to us. Yeah. And that's really what Paul is saying here. You've got yeah. to see that you are a valued part of the body, regardless of your gift ministry, so on, yeah. so, so to speak. Yeah, so. Yeah. And I believe everyone should know, as it says in the beginning of the chapter, uh, it is chapter 12, right? When it chapter says 12. that um, all, you know, all of you have been given... A, a gift. measure. A measure. Uh, well, uh, I'm a sorry. Uh, yeah, we're at the end of this almost an hour, so now I'm starting to get a little loopsy here. But, that's right. Uh, <laughs> we'll just kind of try to round out this passage. That's all I was trying to do is yeah. just, just to finish off with that. It's just to remember that when you, everybody has been given a manifestation. Yeah, a gift. Uh, of, of the gifts, everyone. Right. So if you're wondering, if you receive the Holy Spirit, you are, you have. There you is, there, well, in resident in you is the third person of the Trinity. Amen that can produce, in moments, those gifts. Okay, verse 26. We've got to round this out, guys. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Again, equal care for each other because we all matter. Every single member of Water Church matters. So we rejoice again. And I thought about this one passage. Let me just talk about that for a second. How easy is it to suffer, to mourn with those who mourn, who su- to suffer with those who suffer? As opposed to rejoicing with those who rejoice, <laughs> like, like, it's it's hard to it's hard to rejoice with those who get on it because in, instantaneously jealousy comes yeah. in and why them and not me. Usually, you suffer with those who rejoice. Yeah, yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah that's good. That's good, Josh. We we have to have this. It's not about me mentality in the body of Christ, and so sometimes someone is going to get the opportunity you don't get. Well, rejoice over that. And, by, and you rejoicing over it uh, proves that in your heart you have not made the church about your own self-edification. Yeah. So I know it's easy to suffer with those who suffer. That, that's, that's pretty easy in the church. It's the other part, rejoicing over those who are honored that we got to work on because that speaks to our flesh and that speaks yeah. to our selfishness and, and the Lord wants to break us away from that. And that was what the Corinthians were struggling with. So verse 28, he says, And God has appointed in the church first... 
apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. All right, that's a, that's a big, long phrase, but let me just boil it down real quickly for you. There are different gifts given to different people in the church, and not everyone has to have the same gift. That's why I say, and that's why Water Church teaches this, no, you do not have to, have, you do not have to speak in tongues to claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You uh, do not have to be uh, an apostle to be important in the church. You do not have to be a prophet to be, to be thought effective in ministry in the church. Uh, it is His Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit that ministers through us as His agents to build up the body. Um, I will say that Paul clearly says, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers here in verse 28, because there is, there is a hierarchy of authority in the church, and that is beginning with the apostles. Who are the apostles? Those that Christ called to himself and appointed as apostles of the church, then prophets, those who you know, prophesy in the Holy Spirit for the church, and then third, teachers. And, and there is some manner of, I don't want to say importance, but some hierarchy of authority in the body of Christ. You say, well, pastor, apostles have been long dead. How do we benefit from their ministry? Um, we benefit from their ministry with this. This is the result of their ministry. You, people don't put this together. Yeah. The New Testament, friends, is the result of the ministry of the apostles who mm-hmm. saw the risen Christ. So you absolutely do still have access to the ministry of the apostles through the Holy Scriptures. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah, That's so cool. So again, there is that hierarchy of what do you want to say? Not importance, but the hierarchy of authority in the church so that you can go to your apostolic fathers and say, well, what did they say? Here's what they said. You know. Anyway, last verse I'm going to share with you and then we're done. Earnestly, verse 31, desire the higher gifts. And we'll talk about this in uh, two weeks and the next week after that because next week is First Wednesday. And I will still show you a more excellent way. Basically, what he's doing is he's setting up the big talk about love being the most essential ingredient to all that we do in the body of Christ, particularly when it comes to spiritual gifts. And we'll get to that in two Wednesdays from now. I just want to say in closing, Waters Church, and these are three big points. Number one, in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit is resident in your body. Number two, you can operate in the spiritual gifts. Scott, what you said just a little while ago is so important. Just believe God for it. Start, Start asking for God to minister through you. In the Holy Spirit. And, yet, and, and there is a gift in there. There is a gift. That's what you said. There is a yeah. gift there. So believe it and then be ready to use it. Um, well, where, Pastor? This is why you should be in small groups. Small groups. Start getting small groups. Because in, the, in that small context, we can start to minister to one another and so on and so forth. Third, your spiritual gifts are not for your status, but are for the building up of the body. And I think that if you just hold on to that, the Lord's going to use you in some really amazing ways. And I want to see that. Ultimately, I want to see that uh, in every part of our body. Let it never be the mantra of our church that, oh, there's Pastor Tim way up here, and then there's 
the elders and then there's the small group leaders and then there's then there's us lowly minions no 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 we are all one in Christ we are all equally valuable in the blood of Jesus Christ to God we have a diversity of abilities and gifts and talents but we use these so that everybody else can be blessed and built up amen amen this amen. was a great talk uh, next Wednesday I promise you first Wednesday Unless it's 80 degrees and sunny again. <laughs> pray for pray for a 69. Well, with that in mind, if it stays that way, then there'll never be another first I know, Wednesday. I know, I know, I know. I think we'll have first Wednesday. It just, this is why you need to be following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Follow us. You'll get all the updates there. Or the 41411, text Waters Church to that number, and you will get instant text alert updates to find out when we're having these services and when we're not. I hope to see you back in two weeks on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's Deep End Podcast. We pray that you continue to grow in your faith and that you would serve and support your local church. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us this weekend at Waters Church. We are located at 57 John Deach Square in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And you can join us every Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. Make sure to stay tuned in for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.